We have been studying for the last uh, month and a half this uh, great uh, Old Testament minor prophet, the last uh, prophet to speak in the Old Testament. And we've been looking at this Old Testament declaration that has application for the year 2008. And we find ourselves in chapter 2 this morning. And uh, I am going to have to go light speed to get through our material this morning. So have your pens ready and we are going to move quickly uh, through this text this morning. I'm going to have you stand uh, for the reading of God's word. Then we're going to pray a blessing over our time and get right into our text this morning. Malachi chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. And now this admonition is for you, O priest, if you do not listen and if you do not set your hearts to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants and I'll spread on your faces the awful from the festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent this admonition so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. Now for the lips of a priest, they ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we open this text again where you are uh, declaring to your people your uh, anger, your frustration. Father, your uh, uh, desire for them to turn away from their wicked ways. Lord, you are speaking to your priest. These were men who were set apart. These were men who had a calling. These were men uh, who were given the task of bringing forth your name and lifting it high. So, Lord, what does it mean to us? You're calling us to the same thing this morning. And, Lord, I pray for every person in this place that we would be a people who are not frustrating our God and who are angering our God, but we are people who long to bring joy to the heart of our Heavenly Father. Lord, we need your help. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot seek a perfection because it is unattainable. But Lord, we can seek holiness and we can set uh, our hearts to being set apart for you and your goodness. So, Lord, I pray for that, for us as a people, as we break this text down and understand what you have to say for the people of that day and what message there may be for us today. So open our hearts, open our minds, and give us the eyes to see what you have for us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We have been watching this presidential election take place over the last, really, they say, 18 months. 
And there's been a consistent and ongoing question that keeps being raised by uh, the uh, different uh, politicians who are running for office. And the question they continually bring up, it's a rhetorical question because they themselves know the answer when they ask the crowd, is one simple question. Who is ready to lead on day one? They all say that. Who do you think is ready to lead on day one of the presidency? Now, the reason why they're saying that is they're saying that you cannot have a president who is going through on-the-job training. They're saying we need a leader, and I'm the best leader, or, uh, or they are the best leaders for the job that they've looked over the job description. They know what it means to lead, and they know what it means to lead well. And usually what happens when they say, who is ready to lead on day one, they don't just come out right out and say, I am, but they will go through their resume. This is what I've done in the past. It's because of my military experience. It's because of my community service. It's because of my work as a legislator. And they'll come up with all these different reasons on why they're a good leader and why you should vote for that individual candidate. But as I began to think about that, I began to ask the question, well, what makes a good leader? A lot of people are in leadership positions, but that doesn't make them good leaders. But then I began to think about, well, what is a leader? I looked at Webster's definition of of what a leader is, and it's quite simple. One who leads something. And I began to sit there and think, well, everybody's a leader then. In one way or another, you, no matter how much of an introvert you are, how soft-spoken you are, how much you uh, would rather be in the back and not trying to lead out in front, there is a good um, chance this morning that every person here, young and old, finds themselves as a leader. Someone's following you. As I was writing that down in my notes... It wasn't too long after that that I heard my five-year-old say to my two-year-old, Hey, Noah, come with me. We're going to go out and jump on the trampoline. A five-year-old can be a leader. Now, he may not lead the free world, but he leads his little brother. Let's hope he doesn't lead the free world. But he leads his brother. If you're a parent here today, you have one of the greatest responsibilities of leadership, and you might not even know it. There are kids that are watching you, watching what you're doing, watching how you respond. And you sit there and say, but I'm not a leader. I'm not exuberant like the leaders at church or charismatic like the leaders uh, in the political realm. Uh, I'm just quiet. But nonetheless, you are a, uh, a leader. And a leader is one who is followed. And there are people that are following you, children who are following you. For those who are in the workplace, who find themselves as managers, as, a, uh, as one who oversees, as a boss, people are following you. And I began to think all about that. It happens in the sports realm. It happens in the school realm. We have leaders in school. They're called teachers. They're called administrators, principals. People are leaders. And the question we have to answer today is what makes a good leader? Now, if I was to go to uh, Barnes & Noble and go to the section that talks about leadership, uh, I may find a whole bunch of uh, great ideas and great characteristics of what makes a great leader. That you should dress a proper way. 
that you should speak with a, a proper, powerful language, that you should be able to hold yourself in a certain standard, that you should have a certain title. That's what makes a leader. But when you look at Scripture, you find that leadership has very little to do with the outside and has all to do with the end. When Israel was looking for a leader, uh, they looked for a man who was tall. They looked for a good-looking guy, someone very very similar to your preacher, one who, who, who is just good-looking. And uh, God says, you know what? You're looking for the wrong things. He says, people look on the outside. I look on the inside. Today, we look at a group of leaders who may have had it all put together on the outside. They had the right wardrobe. They had the right speak. They had the right uh, titles. But the inside was rotten to the core. And God speaks to them, and he gives them a chance to change course. And today, the application is simple. Whatever realm of leadership you have, you may not be an elder or deacon in the church. You may not have a title uh, to your leadership. But as I've said, if you're a parent, if you're an adult in many ways, you're leading people. People are watching you. And the question is, are you a real leader? Are you a real godly leader? It doesn't matter what your title says on the name tag. It has to do with what's in the heart. I'm going to look at 10 characteristics very quickly this morning in regards to First of all, five that involve a uh, uh, flawed leadership or a faulty leadership. And then five that deal with spiritually uh, faithful leadership. So let's look to our outlines this morning. The first thing that we see, of course, we know that Malachi is being written during a time where the people of God, the Israelites, find themselves weary of following God. There's not much going on in Malachi's day. There aren't these great prophets like Elijah and Elisha running around doing these amazing acts of God. And so they find themselves kind of, kind of bored with God. They've been in captivity for all these years under a sinful nation's rule. And they sit there and say, the sinners have got it all good. We've got nothing and we are the blessed people of God. Forget it. We'll do our own things. One of the other minor prophets said they were more busy working on their homes and building their lives than they were about building the temple of God so they could worship the one and true God, the God of Isaac, Abraham, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they find themselves weary. Well, what led people to become so weary with God? Why did the people of God find themselves so bored with what God was doing and pursuing that righteousness that they were called to under the law? The answer is found in the leadership that they had. God articulates in Malachi 1, I've loved you. I've loved you. I've always loved you and I will always love you. And then he goes on to say, but there's problems. Amidst my covenant love for you, you've given up on me. Even though I will be faithful to you, you've been unfaithful to me. And as he's articulating that to the people, the priest must have been sitting there saying, yeah, God, give it to them. But then in chapter 2, God turns the table. And I wonder if the applause of the priest section of the the temple got silent. Because he says in chapter 2, and now this admonition is for you, O priest. I'm done talking to the people. Now I'm going to talk to you, the leadership. Remember last week we talked about that there was an inspection that came and the priest failed it miserably. 
And that's what we're going to study uh, this morning, because first we see in Malachi's day that the priest demonstrated a spiritually flawed leadership. Write that down. A spiritually flawed leadership. In our text, in verses 2 through 9, we see a report card. And there are, just like my report card was in school, five areas of failure. Five areas of failure. They had blown it. And God articulates what is taking place. Well, what do we see happening? We see five areas of failure. And it is proper for us to understand that as a leader, we are always under inspection. We may not think we are, but there is someone always watching us. Amanda and I have to be very careful with what we're saying and the words that are coming out of our mouths. Why? Because we have two sons who are like parrots. They repeat everything that we say. We're under inspection. As leaders in the church, we must be very careful because there are people who are always watching us. I remember some uh, about a year and a half ago, we uh, uh, had a, a couple come. Uh, you uh, uh, might know them. They're Tom and, and Laura Betzinger. And uh, they live out in Waterman where I have the catering company. And uh, Laura, for a short time while she was going to school, was working in a convenience store where I would go and rent movies. I'd go and pick up movies and uh, take them home and then bring them back the next day on the way back to work. And I didn't know Laura was coming to the church you know, I don't know all the people that come to the church. It, as it gets, continues to get bigger and bigger, it'll be harder for me to know. And then one day I, I come into church and I meet her and she says, yeah, don't you know who I am? And I said, oh, you look awful familiar. And I said, but I can't, I can't remember. She says, you rent the videos from me. I work over at the convenience store. And she says, you know, I'm glad you've never gotten anything you shouldn't. Be, and I said, I said, I'm glad too. And... Uh, <laughs> And you know what she said? Because I told our manager and some of our workers that you're my pastor. We're always under inspection. And we don't even know it. And we need to know that as parents. We need to know that as elders and deacons. We need to know that as people of God. I articulated last week, we are all priests. We're a royal priesthood. We're a people set apart to be priests unto God. So what did these guys do? Where did they mess up? Very quickly, this morning we see they dishonored God's holiness. You want to get right with God? You don't want to have flawed leadership? Don't dishonor God's holiness. Look at verses 2 and 3 this morning. We looked at this last week, but let's just look at it again. If you do not listen and if you do not set your heart to honor my name. Let's just stop there. It says to honor his name. Now, in the Hebrew, this word honor literally means to glory, to worship, to revere, and to honor, how the NIV translates it. And what the text says is they had failed to do it. We weren't doing it. And as a result of that, there were problems. Now, this is an appalling fact. Pagans don't honor God. Priests should. Your neighbor uh, who's living in sin may not honor and worship and glory in God. But they've got an excuse. They don't believe in God. They don't think God is who he says he is. But what is your excuse this morning in not honoring and glorying in God and understanding who he is and what he's about? These priests had not given God the glory. They had not put him in the right 
position, if you will. I love what A.W. Tozer wrote on this subject of giving God glory. He says, what you think about God, Christian, is the most important thing about you. What do you think about God this morning? Do you have a high view of God? Do you have a mediocre view of God? Well, it's going to be evidenced in a couple of things. Look, notice the evidence that is given. Why don't or what has come as a result of them not glorying and honoring in God? They're not listening, it says. They're not listening and they're not setting their hearts. Listening means to hear intelligently with the implication of obeying. They weren't taking what the Word of God said and obeying it. James 1, don't just listen to the Word, but do what it says. That's the word listen in the Hebrew. But then we see that they also did not set their hearts. They did not have an active um, and uh, passionate uh, pursuit of God. A passion to pursue God. And as a result of that, leadership will always be flawed. Especially Christian leadership will be flawed if it ceases to marvel in their leader, God himself. And that's what, look at what God says at the end of verse 3. I'm sorry, uh, let's see here. Uh, In verse 2, he says, If you do not listen, if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty. That's important in the Hebrew. What he's saying is, is he is saying God is declaring himself with the strongest title and language known to the Hebrew listener. He's declaring his majesty. He is saying, I am worthy of worship and adoration. So what's the application? Be very uh, concerned if you see your view of God getting smaller and smaller. Be careful. Be careful that you don't find yourself growing weary. The Bible says that they were weary about doing the work of God. They found themselves that kind of concerned about it anymore and just saying, you know what, if that's the best we can do today, then that's the best we'll do. That's it. We'll give them a six instead of a 10. We'll give them 80% instead of the full 100%. And they did that because their view of God was low. They dishonored him in your ministry, in your service to your children, in your uh, relationship with your husband, as you lead and as you guide and as you live, the question you must ask is, is my life being funneled through my picture of God? Is it being funneled through that picture that you have of God? Many times the reason why we as uh, people are, are wrong uh, and uh, not wrong, but uh, um, sinful against our spouses and why we find struggles in our lives and relationships isn't so much because of our relationship with that individual. But as Christians, many times it starts with our relationship with God. When I do marital counseling, I, premarital counseling, I tell people that the marriage relationship is very much like a triangle. And at the apex of that triangle is God. And the job of the two people in that relationship is always be driving to God. Why is that? Because as you drive to God, God being at the apex, that is the only time you will be as close as you can get to your spouse. You pursue God. Your spouse pursues God. At the end of that journey, where are you at? As close as you ever can get. Your view of God matters in your relationships, and it matters in leadership. The second thing we see this morning is we see that they uh, departed from God's way. 
Look down to verse 8 for a moment. Verse 8. He goes on in 7 and says, Lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth uh, men should seek instruction, because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But listen to what he says. But you, he's talking to the priest, have turned from the way. What did they do wrong? They departed from God's way. And as a result of that, we see them deviating from the path of truth. Now, this is important. It's one thing for a follower to get off the beaten path, the road of direction that the group is heading on. And that happens a lot as a church. Uh, there are many people who find themselves off the path of following Christ in obedience. And it's not a, always a known thing. Why? Because we don't always aren't, we aren't always looking at the followers. We're not always looking at the people who are following. But we do notice when a leader departs from the way, don't we? Don't we know that? When we see a leader fall, you know, very rarely will you hear about John Doe, a, a congregation member uh, of a large church who leaves and, and does some wrong things and some sinful things. That doesn't make the news. But you find yourself, just as we heard this last week, in a, in a large church down in uh, the Texas uh, state of Texas that a pastor was caught in a sex sting and trying to elicit um, a uh, 13 or 14-year-old girl uh, on, that, on the computer. And it made front-page news. It made all the newspapers. Why? Because we're watching leaders. And when they depart from the way, people always see it. And so, you know, as a parent, as an educator, as an employer, the question we must ask is, do your people see you departing from God's way? They may not even know what God's way is per se, but they may say, there and say you know what? Tim is a believer. Tim preaches at his church. He does all these things. But you know what? I don't remember hearing about that's the way that those Christians operate. He's departed from the way. Well, what had they departed from? The way literally is, is speaking of the Torah, the written law of God. The priests, the ones who were to hold the law up in high esteem, had let it down. What they had done is they had said, you know what? It doesn't really matter what's going on. We'll make our own rules. Remember what I said that during Malachi's day a couple weeks ago was the beginning of the sects of the um, Pharisees and Sadducees? Remember what they're well known for, what Jesus got all upset about them about, was that they used the law of God, the word of God, as a springboard to make all their other rules and laws. In Jewish culture, there are books full of laws and regulations that the Jew in that day had to live by. And it wasn't given by God, but it was given by man. Do this and do that. The reason why they had written those laws is because they departed from the law that was found in the Torah that Moses had written from what God had shared with Moses. I love what the New Living Translation says. It says, you priest have left God's path. Let me ask you today, parent, let me ask you today, leader, have you departed from God's way this morning, from God's paths? Have you begun to pursue other things and say, you know what, to be a Christian doesn't mean you have to be uh, Bible-centered and Christ-centered and God-centered. What it means is you have to be a businessman. You have to have a lot of leadership gifts and abilities. 
I have uh, a friend who always is, is sharing with me this idea of, of what a good leader is, and it never talks about being a shepherd. It never talks about uh, being one who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus talked about this. He said, the Gentiles, they have a way of leading, and they lord it over the people. It's all about them. It's not about who they lead. And I will tell you that the one who leads under the auspices of Christ and in his church and in his families, the auspices articulate very clearly that we are to honor the one we serve, a chief priest, a chief shepherd, and then we are to be careful and lay down our lives for the sheep around us. Are you departing from God's way this morning? What's the application? Be careful from that. Don't follow the ways of this world. Oh, there's a lot of books that are being written telling us as elders how to lead a congregation, how to do this, that, and the other thing. And many of them are written not by pastors, not by elders, but by people who have CEO positions in Harvard Law School uh, jobs than in churches. And there are a lot of parents that are reading and studying what it means to be a parent, not from one who centers their parenting skills and their parenting dreams and desires on the Word of God, but on uh, psychology, which again has its place. But that's not the first place that we go. And popular culture that says, well, everybody's teaching this way and everybody's parenting that way and that's what you should do. Don't depart from God's way. The next one we see is... uh, uh, you know, if, uh, if you're flawed in your leadership, it begins when we damage the spiritual life of others. Look at verse 8 again, the second part of it. But you have turned away from the law. Listen to what it says. And by your teaching have caused many to stumble. When leaders fail to be people of the word, a church will fall. When uh, parents fail to be parents of the word, families will struggle. You want your child to love and honor God, to have a high view of God? Then be a person of the word. And don't cause them damage by not teaching them the word. We want a church that will honor God and and lift God high, then we must not depart from God's word in the teaching of the scriptures and in our ABF classes and in our small groups, but we must continue to hammer home the truth of God's word and never depart from it. Why? Because when we do, we damage the people who follow us. We damage them. We damage their spiritual lives. Notice what the priests were doing. They had departed from the way of the Torah, the way of the Scripture, and as a result of that, people didn't know how to worship God. People did not know how to uh, take, uh, take their offerings and their service to God and make sure it was right. Keith and I went to a, uh, uh, a small luncheon uh, this uh, week where a man was speaking, and he was speaking about film and cinema and culture. And, and it was a great topic, but the thing I walked away with was a statement that was made by a theologian named Karl Barth. And he said that theology is good. And the reason why theology is good is it teaches us how not to blaspheme God. Think about that. How do you know that your worship is not an affront to God? How do you know that your, your service and all that you're doing is not angering God? 
The only way you will know that is if the leaders around you teach you rightly. That they don't depart from the truth. And that's why we stand on the Word of God here at Village. You want your kids not to blaspheme the name of God, not to live in rebellion, then you teach them the Word of God. Why? Because when you depart from the truth, you will see them begin to stumble. These people didn't know what to do. And they said, well, this is what our priests have told us to do. This is what I'm supposed to uh, be doing. I don't know anything better. And it was bringing damage to their lives. Are your actions, are your beliefs, are they bringing damage to people? Are the way that you're parenting your children, is it bringing damage to your children? One thing that we always have to be so very careful with, especially within the church realm, is to make sure. I love this the idea of being shepherds. We love that phrase as elders. Why? Because, the, you know, you can say you're a good shepherd. You can say that you've got the greatest flock around, but the proof is in the pudding. You want to know who a good shepherd is? Look at the flock. Is the flock fed? Is the flock protected? Is the flock cared for? Does it look nurtured? A shepherd can say all he wants. The question is, how does the flock look? You can say you're the greatest parent. You can say you're the greatest boss. You can say whatever you want. The proof is not in what you say, but it is in how your children are. Do they look well fed? Do they look well taken care of? Are they children that are pursuing God? Have you put into their lives the truth of God's word? Have you written it on the door, uh, on the, the doorpost? Have you talked with them, Deuteronomy chapter 6, while you're sitting down and while you're standing up and you're on the road? Are you articulating that to your children? Are you articulating that to your employees, to the people that are under your care? Because if not, when we start living towards ourselves and living towards the flesh, then what happens is we can bring damage to the people who are following us. Next, we see that we as leaders, when we are flawed, can desecrate, desecrate the covenant God has given. Look at the last part of, uh, of uh, verse 8. You've turned away from the truth and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi. By your uh, violation, this word violate, you have violated the covenant with Levi literally means uh, to corrupt. This word violate is used in the phrase to corrupt in Genesis 6.12. Remember Genesis 6.12 talking about Noah. And God looks at the whole lot of humanity and he sees that every thought and inclination of man was to do evil. And he saw and the scripture says how corrupt they were. That's the same Hebrew word that we have in Malachi 2 verse 8. They had corrupted it. They had defiled it. They had desecrated the covenant. Well, what do you mean by the covenant? God had made them a people of priests. The tribe of Levi had become a priest. We're going to talk about that uh, later uh, in our uh, study of Malachi. He had made them out of this tribe of Levi a group of priests. And their job wasn't to take care of the fields. Their job wasn't to take care of government. Their job wasn't to be the electricians and drywallers and the businessmen and the bankers. But he had said a whole tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel, this one, their job was to make sure God got worship. That was their job. And the people had to pay a tax to take care of the Levitical priesthood. Their job was to take care of the Levi. 
people. Why? Because their job was to make sure God got his due. And so they oversaw the temple. They oversaw offerings. They oversaw all the worship that went on. But what happens? They had violated it. They had corrupted it because of their sinful, moral character. And as a result of their pursuit of being lax, instead of pursuing God in what he had called them to do, in what he had articulated, especially in the offerings, they had violated it. They had ceased to live out the purposes God had for them. They'd been called to be priests. And now they were being something else. But it wasn't being a priest. The question that I have for us as a point of application this morning is God has called us to a covenant. Not a covenant uh, that involves an animal, but a covenant that took place on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says that we can freely come to that cross and we can embrace Jesus Christ and we can make him Lord and Savior of our lives. And when that happens, a covenant takes place, an eternal covenant that now moves me out of being a sinner lost in my sin, but now moves me to be a child of God, a priest of God. And so what does Paul tell us? He says, my friends, walk in a way worthy of the calling you've received. The priests had forgotten their position. And so what happens? We do that as well. And as a result of that, we corrupt, we violate the covenant that we have. The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews that when believers fall to sin, it is like us trampling the Son of God underfoot. We make light of the sacrifice that God made for us and we fail to live out the purposes that God has. So the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 says, start living differently. Start living as a covenant people. God says obey. That means obey. God says worship. That means we worship with joy and gratitude in our hearts. As we lead, make sure we are not violating, corrupting the position that we've been given. As a parent... Don't violate that. Don't corrupt that with living out of the flesh. Don't allow uh, your name uh, to be defamed as a result of your behavior. As elders and as leaders in the church, we must be very careful that this is a privilege. It is a privilege to stand before you. And my job is to do it right. And the elder's job and the deacon's job is to do it right, to be men above reproach. Why? Because if we're not above reproach, we desecrate the covenant that God has had with us, the purpose for which God has made us. Who are you leading today? Are you desecrating it? Or you bring glory and honor to God by living the way God would have you to? The final thing that I'm going to look at this morning, we're going to close our time is that we see that flawed leadership uh, creates a despising by the people that we serve. Leadership's flawed when we are despised by the people we serve. Now we know why the priest had done this. We know for two reasons, scholars tell us, why the priests of Malachi's day did what they did. Reason number one, they grew weary. Our text tells us that they were wearied, they were bored, they were uh, tired uh, because it was boring to them. Following God wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. And so they said, you know what? We'll make our own rules. We'll do our own way of following God. We'll make it easier. And so they did that. The second thing that we see, uh, a couple uh, commentators wrote that uh, it was known in Jewish history 
that one of the struggles of priests was to lessen the requirements of offering and sacrifice because then people could bring whatever they had and that made a priest popular. Well, you know what? I know you need the money, so you keep your best lamb. You keep your best animal. You bring me that old broken down one. You don't think that that father would have been like, wow, great, thank you. I can go take that to market and make a good profit. And they did this. Why? Because they wanted to be popular. And for a season, yes, they were. But the problem is, is when Malachi comes in and he says, I've got a message from the Lord. And the message is, people, you're doing it all wrong. You've missed it. You're pursuing the wrong things. You're offering the wrong animals. And so what do the people do? They go from thinking that the priests are all great guys and say, wait a minute, you said this was okay. You said I could do this and everything would be fine and that that would work out. Now God's mad at me. He's angered with me. I've brought cursings onto my life because you told me I could do this. And for a short season, they were popular. But notice what it says in verse 9. I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. They weren't the men that God had called them to be and as a result of that, people said, you know what? You've let us down. You know what? You took care of yourself. It was easier for you just to say, bring the animal than it was to stand up and say, you know what? What you brought is wrong. Go get your best and bring it back here and then we'll do offering. And so what happens? They're despised. They're despised. So what do we understand about leadership in regards to that? Quite simple. Don't lead based on popularity. Never lead based on popularity. Because usually if everybody's clapping for you, then something's wrong. Because not everybody will always clap for you. I don't ever want to be popular as a preacher. If I am, then something's wrong because I'm speaking to a group of sinners who the very thought of God's Word should bring an affront to us. It's not always going to be popular. It's not always going to be fun. We're preachers and proclaimers, all of us are, to a world that's dying and on their way to hell. We're not going to be popular. Parents of kids, I know this because my parents weren't always popular in my life. What they said wasn't always the thing that I wanted to follow. But you know what? They never said, you know, I want Tim to be my friend. I want Tim to love me and think I'm cool. My parents never thought that way. My dad never wanted to be cool. Always wanted to go opposite of cool. Cool's over here. Dad was far south over there. But you know what? I honor God and I honor him because he chose not to be popular. Some of you parents this morning, I may be cutting a little deeper than you may like, but you are living your lives to appease and to take care of pleasing your children instead of pleasing God. And you're doing it as a result of being popular with your children, that they'll be well-liked, but in the end you will have done them great harm and they will come back to you one day and they will say, why did you let me live that way? You knew better. And you let me live that way. You let me have everything I wanted so that when I became an adult, I pursued it. And now I'm in debt and, and I pursued these things. And now I'm divorced because you gave me this idea that everything I want, I should have. Instead of letting God be God, letting his word stand true. And even if it means in the workplace or in the church or in the home, you say, you know what? God's word stands. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
You want kids that honor God? You want a company that honors God? You want a church that is known for glorifying and honoring God? You stand true to the word of God, no matter how unpopular things may get. You pursue those things. Well, what happens? What happens? Three things. We talked about them last week, so I'm just going to review them very quickly. Number one, when leaders are flawed, uh, a rebuke will come. Verse three, we talked about this last week. Because of you, I will rebuke you. Not only you, he says, there's a rebuke coming, but it's for you and your descendants. Literally, the Hebrew means he's going to rebuke. When we fail to be the leaders God has called us to be, don't ever think that God isn't watching, that God isn't involved. Remember, he's the great inspector of our lives, and we should be pursuing holiness and righteousness. But look at what happens next. In uh, the second part, we're rejected. We're rejected. This is where it gets into where there's the spreading of the, uh, of the excrement from the festival animals, from the uh, offerings. He takes it and he wipes it on the faces of the, uh, of the priest. And, and what that's saying is, is you're done. You're, you're defiled now. There's nothing you can do anymore. And as a result of that, many times when we lead in an ungodly way, when we lead in a sinful way, God says, you know what? You're worthless now. Some of us have been parents in a way that we're now totally worthless in having any kind of involvement with our kids. And, and you may want to put all the blame on your child, but some blame, I'm sure, may fall on your, on your lap. And the question is, how are you going to fix that? How are you going to take care of that? Because your child has said, you know what, mom, dad, I'm not going to listen to you. I, I'll, I'll be your son because that's the blood in my veins, but I'm not going to do what you say. I'm not going to honor you. You've been rejected. Churches have that happen all the time where leaders go about doing their own things and the people say, we don't want to follow you anymore. You're worthless to us. Oh, you may have leader on your name tag, but that means nothing to me. It means nothing. God says to the priest and he says to leaders today, be careful or you'll be rejected. And finally, you could be removed. In severe cases, uh, people were removed. They were taken away. Look at verse end of verse 3. It says that you'll be carried off with it. He's speaking of the, uh, the, the excrement from the uh, animals. We talked about that last week. They're thrown out into a pile in an area of refuse. They're never to be used. And all of us are leaders. And the question must be, if we are living this way under a flawed leadership, if we're living lives that flaw our leadership, be very careful because we may be being rebuked right now. If we don't stop, there's a rejection and then there's a removal. We'll talk next time when we're together. We'll get into the second point of the message, but we'll stop there. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, I pray for our, us as a body today. Lord, we're all leaders. We may not have the name tag that shows it, but Lord, you have made us leaders. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who lead rightly. Father, I pray for the father and the mother. And I pray that they would lead their children in a way that is fitting unto the Lord. That they would serve you, Lord. And in doing so, that their children would see it. Lord, I pray for every family here this morning. That there would be good, solid leadership. That men would, would, would take the lead and lovingly care for their wives and, and nurture their families and bring them up in the way of the Lord. And if they don't know, Lord, how to do that, that they would be men enough to say, help me. I need help. I don't know what it means to be the leader, the spiritual leader you've made me.
that, Father, moms would be uh, moms who nurture and care for the spiritual well-being of their children. Lord, we know that when a proverb is given that we train up a child in the way of the Lord. In the end, there's a good chance, Lord, that, that they'll not turn from it. Lord, let's put our uh, focus on that and lay our, hand, or our, our children's lives in the hands of, of you and you alone. Lord, for the employer, I pray that they would do uh, business justly and rightly, that they would uh, be true in the way of ethics, in the way of, of commerce, Lord, that their employees would see them and that they would see them as men and women who are fitting unto the Lord and that they would do right so that your name would not be blasphemed, that they would serve their people well, they would compensate them well and give them the rest that is needed and not work them to the bone. Lord, this is important. We may say, what could work have to do with your word? It has to do with how we lead and how people see us. And Lord, finally, for us as church leaders, oh Lord, I pray that we would never depart from your way, that we would never uh, desecrate the covenant that you've given us as elders and as teachers and as deacons and leaders. Lord, we know the damage that can be done when one of us falls. So I pray grace upon every leader in every position today over this church, that you would keep them uh, close to you, that, Father, you would even now rebuke our hearts so that we would come back to you and pursue you with all our hearts. Lord, we don't want to bring uh, defamation to your name, but our sin can do that and how quickly we can fall. So, Lord, I pray we'll keep short lists with you this week. And, Lord, that we will be men and women of the truth, so that as we lead and as we articulate the words to those who follow us, we can be like the priest who were called messengers of the Lord Almighty. We need your strength, Lord. So give us your spirit in a new way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen.